Now picked up by Newman. This play is live. This play is into the end zone. Touchdown, Cincinnati. So I know you're going to get into this a little bit in your three things, but I'm just curious what your reaction was initially when you heard that our hockey team's starting goalie, who we're counting on to maybe make the season (laughs) not as miserable as we think, A, and B, maybe to stick around and have some really good trade value or maybe even be a factor for Team USA in the Olympics again, was fighting another goalie in a preseason game. Yeah, somebody said something like in a meaningless preseason game, there was like $9 million worth of goalies fighting. Uh, it's pointless. I don't care. And we know our goalie can't fight. He's not tough. No, he's very scrawny. I mean, he's Dominic Hasek's stature, maybe a little taller. But, uh, yeah, it's, I, don't, I don't care. I'll get into how meaningless it is. We could go into a whole thing about how the Sabres are in a nightmare of a spot with Ryan Miller, but, I mean, I didn't really have that as any of my things this week. <laughs> Right, I, I don't know. I just I just remember thinking like there's this all this like excitement because, um, you know, the Sabers are like fighting and stuff and yeah, and it's like, no, don't fight. It's preseason. You're gonna get hurt <laughs> right. for what? You know, like I don't want to have to start the Jonas Enroth era like a couple months earlier because Ryan Miller got his face busted in. Right, I was ready to start the Jonas Enroth era because we traded, traded him Miller and got X, Y, and Z for him. Right, right. right. So I, I don't know. But uh, welcome to the Sportscaster Season 3, Episode 28, September 24th, 2013. A special edition of the podcast because for the first time since Episode 6, the return of Joe Piznanski. And there's quite a saga uh, involved in, I guess, our courtship of Joe Piznanski. Sure, yeah. And uh, I'll get into it. And, and basically, so here's how it went. I remember when we were first starting the show, uh, I wasn't sure really what direction we were going to go, who was going to be on necessarily. I didn't know who to book. And I realized that there was a lot of people who were really interested in the stuff that Joe Piznanski wrote on the Dave Damashek message board which is a place that we kind of started to springboard the podcast, a place where we said, hey, here's this thing. Check it out to other people. And I noticed there was a lot of interest in him, so I looked it up and saw that there was a way to email someone besides him uh, to try to get him on the show. So I emailed that person and very surprisingly quickly found out that he would be available like the next day or something to do it. Right, right. And uh, he came on the show, and he was very kind to us and very great, and it was really big for us because it opened up the door to many other guests. I know I sure, said this, that right. when people had found out, Joe Piznanski, Richard Deutsch, John Wertheim, Lee Jenkins, was kind of, and uh, Greg Wyshynski was kind of the big first group, were on the show, it made it a lot easier to book. So, great. We thought, thank you for the time. Can't wait to do it again. Figured we'd do it again. Then he left SI, um, which was kind of interesting. Uh, there was going to be a new project. He couldn't talk about it, but when he could, he'd surely talk about it. Then he was going to write this book about Joe Paterno, and he's living at Penn State, and he's out of pocket for a year, and then the whole Paterno thing happens, and we expected to get him in the promotion of the book. We had that all set up with the publisher. 
We got a copy of the book, but obviously he never came on because he didn't come on anywhere. He basically did two or three interviews and that was it. And then we expected, we, we knew we weren't going to get him. And what happened was John Wertheim came on to kind of talk about the book and everything that happened. And I know, uh, Sherman Report picked up on that and reported it, and we heard from Mr. Wertheim that Poznanski got back to him and was upset about the things he said. So we weren't sure if Poznanski would ever come back on again. <laughs> then Sports on Earth debuted, and everyone on the site but him would come on. We had right, right. Will Leach and Tommy Tomlinson and Mike Trainer. All those guys were on, never him. And then he leaves that, which was kind of shocking, to go to NBC Sports. And finally, he's back today after at least 20 emails back and forth between me and his publicist to set this up. So a huge shout out to her. Her name is Jennifer. Thank you for everything you did to make it possible. And because it's such a special moment and because this football player who wrote a book was supposed to be on today and canceled, uh, we're just going to have Joe and only Joe on the show. No, seriously, I said last time, I got named Nate Jackson who wrote a book about his time in the NFL. was going to be on the podcast. We just record that Friday and Friday came and went and he never surfaced. But the, the word from the lady scheduling this, Kate, this Friday, is it's this Friday, right. and I believe her about this much. <laughs> so we'll see. So we'll see if he's on next week. Great, and if not, you know, I'm moving on to other things. Yeah. So more of us this week. Yeah, but what we're gonna do is instead of doing five on fantasy in between two interviews, we're going to go over the football games. Don and I each have one other thing, and then we'll do a little five on fantasy as our third thing. We'll do the Poznanski interview, and then we'll come back for one last thing, and we'll go out. It's a little shorter probably this week. Yeah, yeah, probably Which is fine, because sure. we've had plenty longer ones. Absolutely. And they'll get their money worth either way. That's right. All right, three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever! <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep! Now let's move on to other business. Alright, three things. Let's start with the Thursday night action. Chiefs and Eagles, any thoughts on this one, Doug? Uh, right off the bat, I mean, real short, Chiefs look legit and the Eagles uh, look like they fooled a lot of people, myself included, week one. Uh, they're all out of sorts. They can't stop anybody. And uh, I think what we learned a couple weeks after that Monday night game is the Eagles aren't quite as good as we thought, and the Redskins are that bad, if yeah, not worse, yeah, especially on defense. Yep. And uh, we'll get to it later on, but San Francisco looking like they're struggling now, and Alex Smith is sitting at 3-0. and I mean, it, Alex Smith might not look like Aaron Rodgers or – Drew Brees or anybody on the stat sheet, but his his win loss record is really really good. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's 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 ridiculous when you consider it that it's Alex Smith and he's kind of like an afterthought as far as the the top tier quarterbacks go. Uh, game two, Bills, Jets. Uh, I said something on Facebook to. We're local to Buffalo. If you're listening to the first time, like to people around here, my friends on Facebook, that the cure for overexcitement about the Bills is watching the Bills. This, they do this to us every year, and uh, it's actually the Jets that have kind of tempered expectations two years in a row. They embarrassed the Bills in the home in the opener last year, 
in this year, the Bills, you get a little optimistic about him. The offense, the defense looks better than expected, and the offense looks good enough for a rookie quarterback. And then the Jets come into town. And, and the Jets did everything they could to lose. Did they have 20 penalties? Yeah, I think they set the more? record maybe for yeah, I mean, either yardage or number of penalties. It, it was a terrible, sloppy game. I don't know how much I put into the Jets being 2-1. and one. Probably not that much. Didn't help Spiller went out. No, but uh, help. they look. The Bills. Manuel's going to have those days, especially on the road. He's a rookie. He's got to keep passes in bounds. If you watch this game, everything he threw to the sideline ends up especially the last four, fourth down play. But right, yeah, like let it get picked. Who cares? At that yeah, point? but no, he he's going to have those days, especially on the road. I just thought the Bills had maybe turned a corner where they're going to beat a bad team, and it looks like they just still might be a, a bad team. But they're young, so maybe maybe this is what I should have. This is probably what I expected in the preseason, and uh, last week kind of fooled me a little bit. All right, Packers Bengals, uh, another team that just a di- game of swings. So huh? it was a fourteen nothing Bengals. Then I think it was thirty to fourteen. Yep, Packers, and then the Bengals scored the last twenty points. Uh, in a league that loves bizarre stats, I saw a stat about this game. This is the first time in NFL history a team was up by fourteen and then down by sixteen and won. And whatever, the, whatever that means. And the the Packers can't keep running backs healthy. They had Eddie Lacy go out with. Uh, Concussion. Concussion. Yep. So they bring in Starks. And then in this game, Stark goes out with a knee injury. So they bring in Franklin, who's a guy who supposedly can't pass protect, look like a bust. And he does great. 13 carries, 103 yards, a TD. But then on fourth and one, he leaves his feet and he fumbles. Yep. They went something like 40 some odd games without a 100 yard rusher. Now they've had two in the last two weeks. And they, they either one looked... started. Right. Yeah. And so uh, the guys started the game. Bengals, I think, are who kind of who we thought they were. Yeah, their the offense Bengals are is, good. is okay and their defense is. Looks pretty good. Packers will be fine. Yep. Their bye comes at a perfect time. Rams, Cowboys, the Rams, uh, that's just not a good team. It seems like every year you want to be optimistic about them, and they just don't let you. Uh, it's not terrible that they lost to the Cowboys in Dallas, but they lost a game they were never in. They fall way behind so quickly so far this season. Yep. Happened in Atlanta, now it happens in Dallas. It's like before you you blink, it's 17 to nothing. They're losing, and it. I don't know what game plan you can have from Brad, that point. Bradford, Bradford threw throwing 48 times. Yep. Passes a game. It's like that's not what they want to do. Right. The, they don't have the weapons for that. The fact that they're getting so far behind has made Bradford a viable fantasy starter because he throws 50 times a game. Right. So. And DeMarco Murray should play against the Rams every week. Yeah, he's got hit something like 400 yards in his last two two games against the, the Rams. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the Cowboys are Cowboys 2 and are one. the best team in the NFC East so far. Yeah, but that's almost by default because right. everyone in the NFC East looks terrible. So this is the year the Cowboys need to win that division. Yep. Uh, Chargers-Titans. These are two teams that... They're better than we thought they were. Better than they, yeah, yeah. And the Titans, for sure. Uh, Greg Williams can sure coach defense. He for can. a guy that got the Saints in a lot of trouble. He did. Uh, <laughs> he could sure coach defense. This is a team that many would have probably picked to be at the bottom of that division. And they're 2-1. and one. Uh, going into a big game this week. Is and Jake Locker maybe good? Yeah, I don't know yet. I did hear a cool, uh, I don't know if you want to call it cool or what, but Jake Locker wanted, I can't even remember the guy's name, in the game, let me look up the box score here. Kenny Britt's kind of the big name receiver there. Right, Kenny Britt, Nate Washington. He wanted just. he requested that Justin Hunter be in that on that last drive rather than 
Kenny Britt. And actually, Hunter's the guy who hooked up with for the game-winning touchdown. That was his first catch, I think, in the league. Yep. So uh, it says a lot about Kenny Britt and maybe something about uh, Locker's leadership. Yeah, Locker's interesting. I've lost my scoreboard. I'm in the box score now. Okay, well, then the next game is the Browns and Vikings. I think a lot of people expect it. All right, so the Browns give up on their season. They trade away their running back, former third overall pick. They're going to go into Minnesota. Minnesota's going to get healthy, get a win under the belt before they head to London. And that didn't happen. The Vikings stink. Christian Ponder's a disaster. Uh, yeah, they have Castle. What, what, I mean, we talk about, is this going to be a reoccurring theme on our Seems podcast like every here? Week. Like, when will they, when go, to will they go to Castle? Ponder throws 42 times, completes just slightly over half of them for 228 yards. He stinks. He's, he's terrible. Uh, Peterson's doing what he can, but even his numbers are way down for Peterson. About how he started last year, though, too. Yeah, that's true. He is the kind of guy that wears you down as the game and the season goes on. So it'll be interesting to see. He's not going to rush for 2,500 yards. We're running out of time. Is Cleveland being coy saying that Hoyer is not the starter? How does he not start? Oh, he's starting this week. And uh, Gordon. Boy, if that guy can keep Welcome his head back. on straight. 19 yeah. targets he had. Uh, Bucks patriots Again, Patriots kind of struggle on offense. Brady doesn't look great, but they're 3-0. and uh, That's got to be scary a little bit for the entire AFC, that they're 3-0. and and They're going to get better and better. Right, as he gets more in sync with the receivers and Gronk, Gronk comes, comes back. back. Amendola. Buccaneers are terrible. Uh, their defense is really good, but Josh Freeman is awful. 19 of 41 in that game. They're going to make a coaching change probably before the season ends and maybe even a quarterback change too. Yeah, I think they have to. I, I don't know what else to say about that game really. That, that, just a team that finds a way to win versus a team that is going to be really bad. Uh, Cardinals Saints. Saints are quietly 3-0 and maybe. Number four defense in the league, which is a lot better. It's than wild, yeah. That fucking last. Yeah. <laughs> last year, so... Cardinals are another team too that every year may. I mean, their division's too tough. Same with St. Louis that they they probably weren't going to do anything. But every year you think that maybe they're going to take a step in the right direction. Carson Palmer some... stinks. You get any pressure on him, and yeah, he, he becomes does really inaccurate. He's another guy throwing. There was a chance where they were in about the red zone, maybe a little bit back from there, maybe with a chance to make it a game, and he throws a pick. Yeah, you know, and then Breeze just puts it in the other end zone and. Uh, Robert Meacham was a great pickup for the Saints. He's going to have four or five really big touchdowns this year. That All right, 10 seconds left. We're going to go to fantasy later, but is Lance Moore dead? What happened to Lance he Moore? He left this game injured, so that was part of it this game. But like I always say about Lance Moore, he's going to have good games. Good luck predicting when they are. Yep. Lions-Redskins. Uh, Lions might be good, and the Redskins, I think we know, are really bad. Uh Nate Burleson had a real nice game here until news on him is he got in a car accident last night, non-drinking related or anything like that. He was trying to catch pizza, I guess, that was sliding off the passenger seat is what the police report says. And he broke his arm in a few places. I think he's done for the year. Jeez. I don't know how much that hurts the Lions. He's a nice player, but the second receiver there has never really been a monster. No, then he broils to step up. Yeah, and he broils. NFL. Joyke Bell looks legit as far as a multi-purpose threat type guy. He's never going to rush for 150 yards, but he's good in the receiving game. I don't see him totally going away when Reggie Bush comes back. 
And the Redskins are just bad. Yeah, I wonder if Jim Haslick gets fired as defensive coordinator there because that defense has really, really struggled. And you talked last week about Griffin as being a tough fantasy start. Again, threw for over 300 yards, but it wasn't pretty. He had to throw it 50 times. No TDs. No TDs. Uh, Giants and Panthers. The Panthers are a team that lost two close games. One to maybe the class of the league right now in Seattle uh, on a late D'Angelo Williams fumble. And then to the Bills, who are the Bills, but they lost that on the last play of the game. They go out and destroy the Giants. Uh, 38 to nothing. The Giants... Disarray. I wonder if they make a coaching change. Yeah, and I've had this conversation. We'll use this game. There's not much to talk about there. 30 seconds. I've heard people say that Manning and Roethlisberger, they talk about them almost as automatics for the Hall of Fame because of their Super Bowl wins. Two Super Bowls each, yep. That can't be true, though, right? I mean, they're so average regular season quarterbacks. wasn't true for Kenny Stabler, who won two Super Bowls in his name. And he's probably better than these two are in the regular season, I think Roethlisberger's a little bit better than that. I mean, he's had 15-1 seasons. Well, right. right. I think Roethlisberger's a little bit better than Manning. But Eli's Super Bowls might be more impressive in that Roethlisberger's first one was kind of despite him almost. He had a really bad Super Bowl stats-wise. All right. Oops, sorry. Missed the timer there. Uh, Texans-Ravens. Where did this game come from? From the Ravens? Yeah, maybe the Texans aren't good, huh? They had to really come back to beat San Diego on opening day. And this was all about the Ravens' defense, really, which kind of seems out of sorts for the first couple weeks, too, because Flacco doesn't throw any touchdowns. Pierce rushes for a pretty pedestrian 65 yards. So not an offensive explosion, but they put up 30. And uh, the Texans had looked good on offense prior to this. So, yeah, maybe they're just kind of a fraud. Yeah, Ray Lewis day. Sometimes it's tough to win those (laughs) big games uh, on the road. Ray Lewis needs a day because uh, he he never got much attention. He needs two, probably. Yeah, he (laughs) needs to have a second one later. Every day for Ray Lewis is Ray Lewis day. He loves Ray Lewis. Yep. Uh, Falcons-Dolphins. Dolphins Dolphins might be legit, too. 3-0. Great game Monday. Dolphins-Saints. Yeah. Both teams 3-0. Definitely find out a little bit more about the Dolphins. Falcons 1-2, but lost two tough road games, one in New Orleans and one in... Miami, I'm not panicking about the Falcons just yet. They'll probably be okay. They have a tough game this week, too, though, I believe. So if the Falcons... Yeah, they play uh, New England. Falcons can real quickly Sunday be, night football. be one and three. And I don't. everyone gives the stats about 0 oh and 2, and I don't know what the stats are on 1 and 3, but it can't be that good. So the Falcons might have a, a cliched must-win game pretty early in the season here. Tannehill looks good. He's very poised. He's not putting up crazy numbers, uh, but he's efficient. Throws touchdowns when he needs to. Doesn't make mistakes. They're not getting much out of the running game, which is hurting me in fantasy <laughs> because I drafted Miller. But uh, they look good, and their defense looks solid. And uh, People thought they might be a, a team this year, and so far they've been right. Colts-Niners, another game that who would have thought? Uh, I like to think that the Colts were historically lucky last year, and I think there's a lot of stats that'll bear that out. I was down on both of these teams coming in, and I'm still down on the 49ers, and we talked about Kaepernick, and I think just that loss at Crabtree really is going to hurt him. Yeah. You know, he doesn't have that. He didn't strength, have Vernon Davis this whole His strength game is getting the ball down the field, and he, he doesn't have the receivers right now to do that. But here's what I wonder about the Colts. Richardson got a goal line touchdown, and that's great. And he's going to be probably pretty good for them. 
But wouldn't they have been all right with 19 carries and 95 yards from Bradshaw every Bradshaw. week? Yeah, I Bradshaw mean, looks really, really good. What is are they going to get from Richardson that they couldn't have got from Bradshaw? We can do that as a thing here. I'll even stop the timer because that was big news for the NFL this week, uh, the Richardson trade. And I'm not quiet about being a Mike Shope fan, and he's big on teams blowing it up if they're not ready for it. And I kind of agree. I don't hate what they did. I know people are going to point to the fact that they traded a number three overall pick for a pick that's going to be like the number 18 pick. Or the Who knows what pick. that pick will be right now. But that doesn't change the fact that they shouldn't have drafted a running back at number three. That doesn't. That's not how you make a team better. So the idea that they get to kind of fix that mistake a and little bit. And it wasn't the guy that's there who made the pick either. Yeah, Michael Lombardi was still with the NFL Network at the time. I don't hate this move for either team. I don't really hate it from the Browns since either. And I was texting with Jeff Passon about it. And he he's a Browns fan from Cleveland. He hated it. And I think that that's more of like a reactionary thing, like in the moment. Like, oh, here's my team trading their best player for a draft pick again. But I think in the, it's one of those things that in the big picture is probably going to be the right thing for them. I get hating it as a fan, too. I mean, there's probably a lot of people that were wearing his jersey, and there's not much else to cheer for there. But that said, your team's at least a year off. Not that this kid's old. He's 22 or whatever. So he had whatever many years left that a running back has. But he is already an injury concern. He's constantly banged up one way or the other. And what running back... Shope made the argument that this is what Minnesota should be doing. They should have traded Peterson to uh, to the Colts. The difference for the first is round that pick. if you trade Peterson, you're trading the MVP of the league. Right. If you trade Richardson, you're trading a guy that that I, could that, be good. I don't think right. he was lying necessarily about that. I mean, it's an exaggeration. I don't think you get many people that would say to trade Peterson. But Peterson, in a historically good year for Peterson, for any running running back, got them to a got playoff them game. to a playoff game right. and a wild card loss. That's it. It's not his fault. I mean, maybe if Peterson was around in 19... That's about at that position, probably the best you can do. That's all you can do at that position. His best season, team-wise, was when they had Favre there. Right. And it's nothing against Peterson. Like, we've... We love Peterson here, but... Yeah, I'd defend him if there was a reason to, but there's not. That's just what it is, the way this league is. That's the one position that you can replace, and uh, you can't draft him third overall. That could be my second thing. That could be your second thing? (laughs) Because I like yours better than mine, so let's keep your second thing. Okay, uh, back to the games here. Jags, Seahawks. Yeah, Jags stink. Seahawks Seahawks are are really good. good. Yeah, Jags put 17 on the board, but that was after the Seahawks had given up, taken out their starters. Russell Wilson had four TDs in like the... Midway through the third quarter or something like that. He came out midway through the third quarter. I think four minutes left in the third quarter, he came out. Uh... Not much to say here. The Seahawks are look really, really good. The Jags don't. Uh, the Jags are a disaster. That's a really bad team. I saw in Greg Easterbrook's column today that he said they crossed the 50-yard line once in the first half while the Seahawks were trying. So Good for them. Yeah. That, good. They're going back to Blaine Gabbert this week. Whatever. <laughs> uh, Bears-Steelers. I guess should reset the timer. Oh, Bears-Steelers. Bears look good. Steelers don't. I uh, knew the Steelers would be bad. They were my number one over under. Right. They're under. I knew they'd be bad. I wanted to bet my house on it. You even said, I wish I had some actual money or yeah, somebody to put this they're bet just with. Not, they're just not good this year. And 
I think they're even still getting overrated, like in Vegas, because they're the Steelers, and the Steelers mean something. They've won six even Super their Bowls. D is they deserve that the good. Rap. They're just not that good this year. They're not that good. No, I mean their their defense is probably around they can't block. average, a little better than average. That's been their problem forever. Yeah, they even can't when... run block. They can't pass block. Roethlisberger's running for his life, and he's good at that. Right, but you can only be so good at that. Pouncey's getting injured by his teammates, and yeah, he's gone. So they're ugly. Just, they're bad, and the Bears are better than I thought they would be. Seems like they made a really good coaching change. Someone who's really done a good job with what he has there. Cutler is avoiding those like killer mistakes and yep. made a great play, dropping his shoulder, getting a first down. I saw that, the Steelers yeah. made the game close. The Bears are one of those teams that are kind of uh, like they look really good in the preseason, and usually that's like a flash in the pan. But they've they've carried it on in the regular season. Three zero. Raiders, Broncos, the Broncos. We talked about Seattle maybe being the class of the NFC right now. The Broncos are definitely the class of the AFC. Peyton Manning has the most touchdown passes in the first three games of the season yeah, ever. 12 right now. Uh, Terrell Pryor has looked pretty good, but he got concussed in this game. Yep. Uh, it was never really close. It wasn't really that interesting a game. It's more... Boy, fantasy players, we'll get into fantasy a little bit more as our third thing, but fantasy people wondered if there were enough balls to go around to the, all the receivers. Yes. <laughs> and it, it, he has shown that, yeah, yeah absolutely. Balls there. Don't worry about it. Decker was probably really underdrafted, and Peyton has made sure that people were wrong about that. Uh, that's it for that for last week. Anything interesting coming up to you this week? Yeah, I mean, Saints and Dolphins, I think, is a really interesting yep. game, not just because I'm a Saints game, and it's a good Monday night game. And you I said think- that the biggest biggest up or underdog was Philly. Yeah, they're the only double-digit underdog right now. Well, the Colts have moved to 10 over the Jags. So that's probably okay. a big eliminator one is the Colts. The, the Jags are going to beat somebody. When I looked... Uh, that line maybe wasn't nine. Up yet. Yeah, it wasn't up yet. Oh, okay. The Jags are going to beat somebody. I, I don't know who, but they're uh, they bad enough to go zero and sixteen. I don't know. No, I mean, maybe they'll, but, they'll win one. Uh, all right, on to my second thing. It's it's a lot of football. We're going to get right back into it with fantasy. So let's move on. The NHL preseason. We talked about how you get to watch some of your stars, uh, the kids that are drafted that maybe you're going to have to wait on because they're going back to juniors. So check it out. Well, if you checked out via like some sort of streaming site or Canadian TV, the Sabres-Leafs game, you saw a line brawl, yeah. sort of. I mean, jeez, this is one of them things. My note here actually says, NHL fighting is back in the news. The sky is still blue. Uh, it was stupid. It's getting overblown, and the so Leafs... The, the Sabres and- tough guy is out on the ice looking for a fight. Well, this right? starts w- one shift before that. The Sabres have a kid named... Corey Trapp, who's kind of a third-line guy that can score, and he hits, and he's a scrappy kid, all that. Well, he scores a goal, and on the next shift, agrees to fight this guy, Devane, I think his name is. I don't know who this guy is, but he's out of Corey's weight class. I think Corey Trapp is trying to prove himself a little bit, gets in a fight with a guy, bites off more than he can chew, takes a few in the face, uh, looks out before he hits the ground, and he's just... Mess, not a good sight. This is exactly the thing that the NFL doesn't want to see, or the NHL doesn't want to see. That's why they're encouraging guys or penalizing fighters who take their helmets off. Anyway. Do you see they're taking each other's helmets off? Now? Yeah, that's pretty silly. Yeah. But uh, so on the sh- John Scott, who's a grizzly bear of a guy, he's like 6'8", 270. Sabres heavyweight. Apparently was on the ice. I heard this today. I didn't see the game, but Paul Hamilton, the – Sabres beat reporter said that Scott was on the ice for that shift 
during that fight. So he was left out on the ice. Uh, Randy Carlisle, the Toronto coach, sends his players over the board and lined up next to 6'8", 270 John Scott is 5'9". Their star. Phil Kessel. Yeah, their right, star. Their star. Not the guy they want out there for that. So Scott, according to his own work, well, him and Kessel have different versions of it, but basically said, Phil, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to go after you here. <laughs> and he kind of jumps him. Uh, Kessel hacks at him a few times. Baseball bats. Baseball, yeah. Nasty swings and craziness ensues. Uh, Clarkson, a big free agent signing of Toronto. Leaves the bench. Leaves like the bench 10 like games automatic. 10 game, 10 regular season games, yep. I think. Automatic suspension to their, and that money all counts against their cap, which was hurting to begin with. And, my whole thought about this is it sucks. I it's, it's so stupid. stupid. I hate John Scott, if you're a Sabres fan or if you've watched any hockey, he's a funny guy. He's a likable guy. Uh Rob Ray's always been a likable guy. Uh I don't want him on my team though. But as soon as he's not on the team, then Toronto has guys like Colton Orr and Yeah, or uh, Lucci Truns Miller. Right. And you just don't have an answer for that. So you have to skate these dummies that play five minutes a night, have no ability at all. Uh, although Scott was saying that all this attention was given to the fight that nobody saw his baby sauce <laughs> assist that he had earlier in the game. Yeah, I missed that. So uh, Good for him. I mean, he's, he's like I said, he's likable, he's funny, but I don't want this stuff in the NHL at all. I, the staged fighting is so stupid. Like the idea that Corey Trapp got in a fight that he was – agreed to be in and that they felt the need to go out and beat up Kessel was stupid to me. Now Kessel got a three game suspension too. They're all going to be preseason games. Whatever. Right. Kessel hacked at him. Like you said, like baseball swings. And the first one I'm almost okay with because he's kind of skating backwards, trying to get away from a grizzly bear. That is John Scott. But then John Scott's engaged with like three other guys and he's just (laughs) swinging at the back of his leg. Someone had a funny gift where they turned his stick into a lightsaber. Yeah, I saw someone turned it into a purse. <laughs> someone has his, uh, uh, like his picture where if you've ever seen hockey pictures, sometimes they'll hold the stick on their shoulders and rest their hands over the stick while they turn that into a, like a big axe, like a lumberjack axe, and then made his jersey plaid so he looks like a lumberjack. Now, the nice so, thing about all this is there's this crazy rivalry renewed now between the Sabres and the Leafs, which a writer in Toronto has went out of his way to say isn't a rivalry because nobody cares about Buffalo and, you know, it's such a... Well, that that's a joke. Dumpy it. city. It's like, yeah, okay, buddy. That's probably yeah. Damian Cox or somebody. Yeah, Canadians never come... People from Toronto never come to Buffalo. No. Never. I mean, the, the gallery of mall is empty of Canadians. <laughs> There's never been a Canadian make that trip over to the United States and hang out in junkie yeah shots on towns are pretty sad to begin with but uh as far as teams go yes your team is located in the biggest market in toronto so by default they sell out they've won nothing since my team's been in the league nothing really amount of cups since we've been in the league yeah uh zero to zero that should be more embarrassing pre-salary cap because you guys had infinite money to spend up there but anyway that's that's petty the the rivalry is always going to exist just because of how close they are. It's embarrassing to say they don't have a rivalry. Half the right. people here sell their Toronto That's tickets. my favorite thing about this. It's probably get, going to get me an extra 80 bucks on the first pair of Toronto uh, right. Buffalo tickets I'm going to put on the internet in November. 
But yeah, anyway, NHL fighting is still stupid. Down goes Brown, a guy I think we've had on before, yep. right? Yep. Uh, he's got a great... I mean, you say the word blog, and it's almost like a four-letter word because every nerd has a blog. But this guy has a legit blog called downgoesbrown.com. He's a humorist. Yeah, it's, humorist. it's really funny. I mean, hockey's niche enough as it is, so but he writes really funny stuff about it. He wrote uh, a transcript from the Phil Kessel hearing today. Did you see it? No. Oh, it's really good. Check it out after this. But, yeah, Down Goes Brown, look at the Phil Kessel. It's his version of what went down behind closed doors with uh, Brennan Shanahan. All right, well, last thing, and then we're going to get into the Joe Poznanski interview. We're going to just do a little fantasy here. Well, one thing I wanted to do in 5-on Fantasy was, was look at the Listener League, and we'll get into that more uh, next time when we have more time. But the basic story out of the Listener League so far is the same story that's always been for the Listener League since we started it, and that's that I'm dominating it. <laughs> I mean, that was the story of the league the first year and the second year, and now the third year, three weeks in, I'm undefeated with the most points for in the league. Yeah, and I'm struggling. I drafted... Uh... All the people on the list of guys that if you're having a bad season, you probably drafted player X. I think I drafted all of them in that league. So right. MJD, Wilson. David Wilson. Yeah. yeah, I'm struggling. So I'm looking good. So we'll get into that more next week. But uh, right, I just congratulate myself. A little fantasy news real quick. Steven Jackson out till week seven. Yep. It sounds like now. Hamstring injury. Uh, not a thigh. And Le'Veon Bell is expected to play this coming Sunday. So... I don't know if you want any part of any of the Steelers running backs necessarily because But it'll interesting maybe to see what he block. can do, you know, with talent as opposed to the other guys who Right, and you've probably stashed him this long. Okay. So if he's but on your you bench, might want to wait a week and see. Yeah, I wouldn't start him by any means. Uh we usually do starts and sits here. I don't have mine totally ready, but uh I Because we were unsure if we were even Yeah, we weren't sure if we we're gonna do this. So let's just do it like this. Let's just do some more big-picture fantasy stuff. Let me ask you a couple questions. You answer, and we'll go from there. You're on your own for your lineups this week. <laughs> the one guy I have to be careful about, and actually the one guy I had written down right away, and I always say, like, okay, maybe you can't actually sit this guy. I think there's a good chance you can actually sit uh, Arian Foster this week. I, I don't know who your backup running back would have to be, but they play Seattle – and he's splitting carries. He's straight up in a platoon situation right now, so I don't know how well, much I would trust. That was going to be one of my questions. If you got to draft again tomorrow and you had the second pick, who would you pick, McCoy? Yeah, it's McCoy. McCoy. I don't think it's even that close. Who would be the third pick? Um, Is it crazy to say Peyton Manning would be the third pick? Wow. Because none of these running backs this year have established no, himself at all. Ray Rice is not. Charles, I think, is probably yeah, been the Charles. third best yeah, one. Yeah, I would say Jamal Charles probably. But, yeah, that's been really interesting. Would you, if you had David Wilson right now, what are you going to do? If you draft him to be your second running back and say your third running back is Fred Jackson because you're in a 12-team league and it wouldn't be crazy to think that your first no, backup absolutely. is a backup. So what are you doing? Are you starting Fred Jackson now until further notice or are you going to try again with Wilson? Jeez. Who would have had a better week last week if his touchdown that he gave a backflip right, right. and a dance to wasn't called back because of an illegal shift. Um, Boy, I don't know. Those are the guys to me that uh, everyone talked about how thin quarterback was or running back was, so they went quick. And if they went quick, you probably overdrafted guy. I don't even know if you considered overdrafting. I got Wilson like the fourth round or so, and I got Ridley in like the fourth round. But those Wilsons, the Ridleys, the, uh, the guys that you need for your second Lamar running Miller. back, if you went 
for a Jimmy Graham early. Right. Or maybe for a quarterback early. Those guys are killing you. The guys who are in that range that have been okay are like McFadden's been okay. Bush has been okay. You know, like in those guys in that range, that's where you've been okay. Where it's really hurt you is the other guys that you mentioned. What I would say right now, and I think you could say the same thing about Wilson, is, and it's mostly symbolic, but on my team right now, my starting running back is CJ Spiller, who is... He'll be okay. I think think he'll be okay. Uh, My backup was Ridley, and my flex, who I feel comfortable with now, is uh, Bernard, Giovanni Bernard. I moved Bernard into my running back two slot in case I find somebody I'm more comfortable with a wide receiver or running back. Like Ridley's like on the border of not starting for me right now. And that seems ridiculous. He had like 1600 yards or something crazy. like Right. But uh, all those second tier running backs that aren't sure things are killing people this year. Crazy, crazy year. Matt Forte is a guy that was probably someone's number two running back. Like if you drafted around that. 10. Right. Yeah. And then you hit he's it out of the goal park. line carries again. He's scoring short touchdowns. And he receives the ball. Well, guys, like you had to get lucky and get a guy like Joyke Bell. If your second running back was Ridley or Wilson or Lamar Miller. If you have Jaquiz Rogers or Snelling, either one of the Falcons guys and Wilson, who do you start? Who's Wilson? Oh, David Wilson. Uh, Boy, I don't know. I Jaquiz Rogers had 100 yards last week, but it took him 31 carries, and he just broke it. I I guess if Jaquiz Rogers is going to get 31 carries, it's Jaquiz. Well, Rogers. Jackson's not going to be there this week. No, right? So I mean, someone. So the Falcons. I guess to me, yeah, I guess it's Jaquiz Rogers in that scenario. I don't know how that. That's where we're at right now. Eli Manning is throwing interceptions left and right. He's got eight interceptions through three games this year. Uh and they're not giving David Wilson the ball. That said, David Wilson did get 25 carries. Oh, no. I'm looking at... Projections? I'm looking at... My bad. I'm looking at his season totals. Oh, season totals. He is the leading rusher on the team of 25 carries and 75 yards. That seems abysmal. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah, I'd start Jaquiz Rogers. Okay, so Jaquiz Rogers didn't have 100 yards last week. He, had he like has 80. 31 carries right, all yeah, he season. He like 80 yards. Boy, I was looking at the wrong. I'm looking at next week's games, not the box scores from last week. All right, week. let's end this train wreck. Let's take a break. <laughs> let's <laughs> talk about back. David Wilson. It wrecks the podcast. Let's too. come back with Joe Piznanski on the podcast for the first time since episode six. Our next guest is from Cleveland, Ohio, and is a national columnist for NBC Sports. Previously, he was a senior writer at Sports Illustrated before moving on to the website Sports on Earth. He has authored several books, and in 2012, he was named the National Sportscasters and Sports Writers Association's National Sports Writer of the Year. He is making his second appearance on the podcast. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Joe Piznanski. How are you doing today, Mr. Piznanski? I'm doing great. How are you? You know, it's funny, I was listening back to the first time you were on our show, which was the sixth episode back in 2011, and I just want to apologize right now for that. <laughs> it was I, Nobody ever has to apologize to me for uh, for anything that goes wrong with a podcast. Yeah, we no, were, no, nobody has had more experience with uh, with poor podcasting than I have. <laughs> we, so. we were very green at the time. We appreciate you doing it again. Uh, no problem. Yeah, we're really excited to, to, to have you on. And 
it's, it's amazing. Like you think, oh, all right, so that was sometime probably in March of 2011, and it's only you know 2013. But you have done a lot since then. A lot has gone on in your life as a as a broadcaster, a writer. Um, so, geez, I don't even know where to start. But I think the first thing I want to ask you is, you know, there was a, a period of time where we were anticipating having you. Uh, to talk about a book that you wrote uh, called Paterno. And I guess what I'm just curious about, and so much has been said and talked about with the, about this, so I don't want to rehash it all, but I guess what I'm just curious about is, you know, when I think about someone going through, I think Jeff Perlman was someone who talked about, he had written the book Pey- Peyton, or Sweetness, about Walter Payton, and so many people just attacked him before they even read the book or or looked into what he, the time that he had put, all the all the effort that goes into writing a book like that. And I was thinking about you and your book and thinking you probably had a lot of the same feelings that so many people had made an opinion about your book before they would ever even consider or reading it. When you look back on all the time you spent on that and wrote it, is there anything you would change, anything you would do different? And ultimately, did you did you write a book that you're proud of? And is that maybe the most important thing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely the most important thing. Um no, I I never really I never really thought about all that. I mean, I I thought about it because it was obviously I was living it. But for me, it was always about just writing the best book I knew how to write. I I knew people were going. It was it was such an emotional topic. Still is. Uh, it was such a you know people had such strong opinions, uh, not always based in uh, in fact and. Uh, and so, you know, I, I knew I knew what I was walking into, and and I, I you know, determined very early on in the process that uh, the only thing that mattered for, to me was to write write a good book. That's all I really cared about doing. And uh, you know, when when the book came out, uh, it was it was you know shortly after the free report uh, came out, and and uh, it was it was really probably you know, the hottest time there was, you know, in the, in the whole story. And, uh, you know, and the book came out into exactly the kind of, you know, firestorm that I thought it would. I mean, there were a lot of people who, who, uh, attacked it. There were a lot of people who, uh, you know, were, were gratified by it, but my feeling on it always was, Hey, I'm, I'm going to write the best book. I know how to write. I'm very proud of the book. I, I, it's the best book I've ever written. Um, and, and, uh, you know, I, I, what I have found and what I feel like is as time has gone on, as uh, we are now, what, you know, 18 months, two years, closing in on two years from, from, when, uh, from when the first, uh, you know, the first grand jury uh, presentment was, you know, came out, uh, I think we're, we're finding out that everything that I wrote in the book was, is, is how it went down. It, and and uh, you know, I'm very proud of that. But it, it's not something I, I really, truly never – uh, you know, I tried not to let anything from the outside uh, affect the book itself. Uh, it was, it was, to me, the the most important thing to do was to write the truth as I could see it, and and I feel like I did that. You know, another thing that an author told us, I think it was James Andrew Miller who wrote the really good ESPN book. He's like, you know, after spending this much time on this topic, I feel like. I'm never going to be too far from the topic in the sense that as things happen at ESPN over time, I'm always going to be thinking about it and, and collecting on it, and, and people are going to be asking me about it. It's always going to be a part of me. Do you feel like this story, in a way, will always be a part of you? Are you really up on the new things as they come out? Is there is there a time maybe where you think that there might be a section of the public or people that will be more willing or ready to receive this book? Is there like a, another time where you might want to do a reissue or – or maybe some more promotion for it. Did you ever think about maybe a second life for the book at all? 
Sure, sure I did. I mean, you know, I've, I've definitely have thought that as time goes on, people are going to read the book differently. Uh, they're going to see, I think, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's always uncomfortable for me to talk about it as an author because for my, my feeling from, from day one was always going to be write the book, let the book speak for itself. Uh, you know, I had a lot of people, uh, you know, come after the book, come after me, and, and I didn't respond to any of that, and I, and I won't. I mean, my feeling on it is the book speaks for itself. And, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I do believe that there will be uh, a second life. I do believe that people will read the book uh, with a little bit clearer eye. I think people will read the book and realize how, how right it was, you know, and, and how, how true it was. And, and I, I, I know that I feel like that time is coming, but it's not, it's not what the point of it is. I mean, to me, the point of it was to stand up in the middle of all of it and write the best book I could write. And, uh, you know, I feel like I did that. Uh, you know, as far as whether or not, uh, you know, I do keep up um, with what's going on with it. Um, you know, I, I, I try, well, I don't just try, I, I don't comment on it for, for all of the reasons that I just said, because I really feel like I want the book to stand for what the book stands for. And, uh, you know, but I think there will come a time where I will have something to say. I, I want to let everything you know, there's still some legalities and, and, you know, there's still some, some things that have not been adjudicated in court. Uh, you know, we're finding out, you know, today, the day we're talking on the podcast, uh, the NCAA has already started rolling back uh, their, their penalties. Uh, so right. it's, it, it's, it's a little bit of a shifting story, but I, I've always felt it would be, and I always felt that as the emotion of it got away, as people just stopped being, you know, blindly outraged, they'd be able to see the story a lot more clearly. And I hope and believe that my book does. I, I believe my book looks at the story without uh, the emotion that, uh, that I think blinded a lot of people. You know, another thing uh, that I heard listening back to that original interview we did with you back in 2011 is we talked a little bit about, believe it or not, the Royals and the Pirates and <laughs> what the future hold, held for those organizations. And actually, one thing that you mentioned was, specifically with the Royals, maybe not so much about the Pirates, specifically with the Royals that you thought this season, the season that we're living right now, might be the year uh, that the Royals could could turn into the franchise that they once were back in the days of George Brett and the 1985 World Series champions, obviously. Uh, and maybe they picked a bad year to to emerge this year with Cleveland and, and Detroit. I remember when the Royals were on a run and I think maybe like late July, early August, it seemed like every night they just win and win and win, but it was like, oh, Detroit would do the same, and they just can never gain any ground in the race. But what do you think about the Royals? And then we'll talk about the Pirates who you wrote about uh, today in a second. But what about the Royals and kind of the maturation of that franchise as they emerged from, like, seller dwellers to contenders? Yeah, I think this was a great year for them. I mean, this really, really has been a great year. I mean, we're at the moment, we're, what, a week out. I mean, they're still sort of technically in the race, but it's going to be very, very difficult because of, of the, the way things align. But I, I don't think it matters. I mean, obviously, it would be great if they could get into the playoffs, but for me, this year was a turning point year. I mean, it was a year where the Royals needed to stop talking about winning and stop talking about how good their young players were and stop talking about you know how great things were going to be down the road and actually start doing something, and, and that happened. I mean, they have had... Uh, a very very successful year. I think this morning they're ten games over five hundred, which is just enormous for that city, for that organization, for that franchise. It's just it's a great great thing. I I, I did believe it was going to happen. I really did. I really thought that that this was the time frame. Uh, I think last year was a little bit surprising that they weren't a little bit better. I kind of thought they were going to get a little closer uh, to the five hundred mark and 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 begin to show some signs, but. 
very some some shrewd drafting, some very shrewd bullpen building. I mean, that's that really is is the big part of this team. They've got as good a bullpen as as you'll ever see because of uh, you know four, five, six guys that throw in the upper nineties. They're 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 a good team, and they're young, and they're exciting, and I, it's it's great for the city. It, it, you know, Kansas City is such a great town, and such a great baseball town, and it's been you know miserable, absolutely miserable there. So it's uh, it's a good story, and and it's you know I, I did believe that was going to happen right around this time, and uh, you know, but for for you know. The one thing that you find about baseball is a lot of things you think are going to happen. You you go into a year like this year and you think, well, the Washington Nationals are as sure a team as you're going to find. Then they end up not performing. Baseball is just like that. So it's it's really, uh, you know, it's a great thing to see the Royals actually winning games. You know, we live in Buffalo, which is so close to Pittsburgh that Major League Baseball blacks out their games here because, you know, on a Tuesday night, you know, we might either watch the game on TV or drive three and a half hours to Pittsburgh and watch it. Uh, But the Pirates, I'm one of these people who has been to PNC Park, and the night I was there, I don't remember why I went, maybe to see Barry Bonds way back when he was doing things that required people to go out and see. Uh, I remember sitting there thinking, man, this place would be amazing uh, to sit in in a playoff game, and that may or may not happen this year depending on, uh, where they eventually finish, but what have been your thoughts about the Pirates and their emergence this year, and and kind of what they mean to Pittsburgh? And it's so funny that the year that the Pirates are doing what they're doing, it just so happens to coincide with what might be the worst Steelers season that I can remember. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know that was the way it was in uh, in Kansas City forever. It was that the Royals were really good, the Chiefs were abysmal, then the the Chiefs were good, and then the Royals were abysmal, and it was it was really up and down. And then they had a stretch where they were both terrible. So that that's <laughs> the way things tend to go. Um, you know, I, I think the Pirates have obviously they're a fantastic story. They have done it differently than the Royals. I mean, the Royals you could see a very clear path of really, really good young players developing in the minor leagues. And so two or three years ago, it was really easy to see. The Pirates have made some very, very smart, shrewd moves that honestly didn't look that great when they made them. I mean, they, you know, they, they went out and, and, and signed a couple of free agents that you just thought, well, that's, that's what bad teams do. You know, they, they go ahead and they, they overspend for, for guys that, that people have given up on around baseball. Um, but they are a tremendous story. And, you know, I, I think it begins, obviously, it begins with Andrew McCutcheon. I mean, he's just, you know, he's going to probably be, should be, the uh, the National League MVP. And, and uh, you know, you have a player that's not only that good, but that dynamic and that much of a of a force for, for the rest of the team. You build that around them. Uh, you know, they've got, you know, a little bit of offense. You know, Alvarez hits home runs and Marte has developed. But really the key for them has been, that pitching staff, and you look at that staff, and it's not like, I mean, you know, obviously they've got a couple of young guys like Garrett Cole that, that you know, you, you expect to become stars, but it's it's comes down to exactly what I was saying. You know, it's Francisco Liriano. When they signed him, everybody just thought that was just a dreadful move. I mean, just kind of a classic pirate, so you just scooping this guy up, and he's been tremendous, you know, and you you, you, you put Grilly in the bullpen, Jason Grilly in the in the closer spot, and, and he's been really good. It's 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 a really cool story. It's been a lot different, I think, from the Royals because it's uh, it's just been surprising. I, I, I think the Royals have been very, very gradual. The Pirates have been, you know, they were really showed some promise two years ago, then collapsed. They showed some promise last year, then collapsed, and then this year it's been good all year, and, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. 
Yeah, it's almost been like a slow progression where two years ago they like were good till July, then there was the collapse, and last year was like August, there was the collapse. <coughs> I, I know, like, you know, in September, I was thinking, hmm, well, are they going to get through this? But they did. You know, I've asked a couple different people this uh, Jeff Passan and uh, Joe Lemire from SI. In a, in a perfect world, uh, if they have to play that one game, one game, uh, Wild card. Who should they pitch if they could pitch anyone? If you know they had their choice of their maybe top three guys, who, who do you think is the guy that should be on the mound for them that day? It, it's it's a it's a great question. I was actually reading a couple of things on that uh, very subject today. I mean, Liriano's been their best pitcher, so you know you you look at that and say, well, he's he's the guy. But you know, I, on the other hand, can you really? I mean, to me, the guy who's going to be the star on that staff is Cole. Right. Uh, so it's. It's I don't know I mean when you throw something into a one game playoff the way they're doing uh, which I'm not a big fan of I should add uh, but when you do that you, you sort of force teams like like Pittsburgh to make some decisions that I, I don't know that there is a right answer I mean it's not like they've got you know one guy who's like the dominant you know they don't have. Uh, you know, Clayton Kershaw. So you're like, okay, well, you have Clayton Kershaw. You've got to go with him in the number one spot. They've got a pitching staff that has been very good because they've gotten three, four, five good, you know, starters throughout the, throughout the season. Uh, so I don't know who that guy is going to be. Uh, there's going to be a little bit of a, of a gut feel, I feel, I feel, uh, going into that game. But I think Liriano's been the best pitcher all year. So that's, that's going to be tough for, to, for them to overlook him. You know, my thought, and you can agree or disagree with this, is that, you know, this year, to me, for the Pirates, it's a little bit of uh, house money here. And, you know, I don't think they probably, if they're being realistic in April, that they thought they'd be in this spot. And for me, it's like, why not throw Garrett Cole out there? Because he's the guy you're going to want to count on for the next 10 years to take the ball in, the, in those spots. So why not get his feet wet in it? And if it goes good, you know, great. Maybe you have him on a short leash and have someone behind him, maybe. But I don't know. That's the way I go. But they're probably not going to call and ask me. So, you know. Well, I'm, I'm, I don't think that, that I'm certainly not opposed to doing that. I mean, I think Cole is the guy that they're going to count on forever. Uh, the, you know, the, the issue with that is, even though they are playing with house money, I agree with you, nobody thought this was going to happen. Once you get into that one-game playoff, it's not house money anymore. Right. You know, now you're, now you're playing to win. I mean, it's, if the Pirates go all, you know, after 20 years, finally make the playoffs, and, and, and then they get in that one-game playoff and they lose, what a letdown, you know? I mean, it's just such a such a depressing turn you know it's oh it's a great season but you don't really even get into the playoffs i mean the one game playoff i i to me doesn't feel like it's the playoffs so i think you go in honestly that that's one where i say to clint hurdle you know what you've got you know two or three guys here that honestly you're not going to make the right or wrong choice you have to kind of go with who your feeling is who's the best guy to win this game who's the best guy to to give us a, a good chance to win this game uh, you know and it also depends on where the game is played too you know if it's played in Pittsburgh uh, which has obviously become a little bit of a pitcher's park that's a lot different than if it's played in Cincinnati which is uh, you know, quite a hitter's park. So I think there's a lot that goes into that decision. But like I say, all the preparation in the world, you might end up taking absolutely the wrong choice. It's, it's a one-game playoff, so there's a real crapshoot feel to it. You know, we spend a lot of time on your blog. love reading uh, the different posts, the variety of stuff that you do on there, including the iPad reviews, which everyone loves. Uh, and you're known for the ridiculously long posts, which is how we got the idea to have a three-hour interview with you today. We really appreciate you agreeing <laughs> to that. Um, one of the cool things you've been doing on the blog is the Brilliant Readers Hall of Fame. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the idea, where it came from, and kind of like what surprised you or interested you most about the project as it's evolved? 
Um, you know, it was one of those things where I just keep hearing people over and over again talk about the Hall of Fame and how messed up it is. And it's not just messed up because of the stuff that everybody's been talking about lately, where you have, you know, all of these guys that aren't getting in either because we know they use steroids or we think we use steroids and they might have used steroids and all these other questions. That's, a, that's, that's just one aspect of it. There are a bunch of guys in the Hall of Fame right now that, if, if we started over, would not be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, there are a bunch of guys in the, who, in the Hall of Fame who are very, very similar to people who are not in the Hall of Fame. It's, uh, it's kind of a mishmash, and it's, you know, part of it is because the voting system has changed so many times on the, on the veteran side that you have a bunch of guys that, for, you know, for a while there, there was a veterans committee, and those guys could put in whoever they wanted. They could put in their old friends. Then there was a Negro Leagues committee for a while. Then there was a Negro Leagues uh, uh, group that put together, you know, put, you know, 19 people in. So the Hall of Fame has just kind of become this mishmash. And I just thought this would be kind of fun to just start over and just see what people are, you know, and obviously I'm dealing with people on my blog, but I think that's, fairly typical of some pretty hardcore baseball fans. Where do these people think the line should be drawn? How big of a Hall of Fame do they really think it should be? Should it be 100 people in it? Should it be 50 people in it? Should there be 300 people in it? How big of a Hall of Fame uh, there should be? And, and so I went ahead and start putting uh, people up there, you know, for, for them to vote. They could vote for, for as many as they wanted. And uh, we've been doing this now for about, a, you know, two months, I guess. And it's been fascinating to me because what I found is that the standards uh, of people on the, on the, on the blog, uh, at least when you're trying to get 75% of them to agree on a player, are very, very high. And, and they're very tilted toward modern players. They're very tilted away from, from older players. It's been it's kind of stunning. I, I, I feel like almost everybody I've put in – the, on the ballot, you know, on the hitters and pitchers. I think I'd probably have put maybe 150 to 200 people total. Of those 150 to 200 people, I think all of them belong in the Hall of Fame, just about. I, I don't know if there may be one or two that I put in there that I just kind of threw in on a lark. But I think I put pretty much everybody that I believe belongs in the Hall of Fame, and I think only 50 or 60 have gotten through. It's, it's, a, it's a very, very interesting, at least for me, it's a very interesting group, and, and uh, you know, I intend to keep it, keep it going and then at some point really kind of break down what it means, if, if it means anything at all. You know, it's been an interesting year for, for the baseball and the Hall of Fame with you know, nobody getting in this year and uh, with a big year coming up. And I know one thing that, that I was thinking about when nobody got in is, well, I wonder if that's really about the writers thinking about baseball or, or if it's about them. And, and I, I don't know if I ever thought of what I – decided on if I made a decision or not but I was thinking about Maddox coming up this year and you know no one's ever is there, I, I want to say there's never been anyone unanimous no yet, never right? been a unanimous right vote. so if Maddox isn't and I'm sure he won't be isn't there some people out there making it about them because what other just I mean if you don't vote for him what could the reason be it wouldn't be anything about baseball right yeah you know I mean people vote for a lot of different reasons a lot of different ways Part of that is the charm of, of the Hall of Fame is that what you have is you have, I don't know what the exact number is, but 500 or 600 voters, and they come from many, many different backgrounds. They come at the game from many, many different ways. Some of them are you know, hugely statistical uh, you know, people who just think about stats all the time. Some of them 
despise stats and believe it's all a gut thing. Some of them believe that there's a you know a very heavy moral clause and you know that that needs to be uh, invoked. Some of them believe that uh, that you know that they they're protesting what happened essentially uh, in the 1990s with all the right. steroids. People have come at it from many many different ways, and yeah, you could say that's them talk thinking about themselves, but I think. From what I can gather, everybody takes their vote seriously. I think they really believe that they are doing the right thing for for what they're representing. The fact that Willie Mays did not go in unanimously, the fact that Ted Williams didn't go in unanimously, and Hank Aaron and 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 you know the, the greatest the closest, of the greats, right? is is ridiculous. But again, it's about people saying, well. Nobody ever has gone unanimously. You know, none of those players were were better than Babe Ruth or Walter Johnson. So that should be something that the Hall of Fame should always have: is that nobody ever goes in unanimously. Some people believe that's the way it should be. I don't agree with that. I, I suspect you don't agree with that. I, I don't really know many people who do, but that's honestly where it comes from. And and you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, Greg Maddox will not go in unanimously, right. and not only will he not go in unanimously. Uh, I would not be surprised if the number of people who don't vote for him uh, is higher. Of course, higher than one is too many, but but uh, is higher than we expect. Yeah, I mean, because I was listening to everything you said, and it's like I can appreciate all those things, the, the different things you brought up, and but I can't find one that Maddox wouldn't apply to positively. You know what I mean? And I think Tom Seaver is the guy who is closest to unanimous, I think. I might That's be, right. I might be right. Seaver has the highest, right. uh, the highest percentage. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, that bugs me a little bit. Just, I don't know well, because I, I Seaver, just, Seaver was a great pitcher. I don't no, really know. Seaver, it's I, re, I don't really know why anybody would vote against Tom Seaver either. Right, yeah, no, neither do I. I you know, yeah. but Nolan Ryan got an incredibly high percentage, and there are there are knocks on Nolan Ryan's career that you can that you can Lots, point to. But right. he got an incredibly high percentage. George Brett got an incredibly high percentage. Uh, Mike Schmidt. Those guys got much higher percentages than, for instance, Jackie Robinson. Uh, it's it's a very very you know when you start really going into it and digging into it. It's 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 you know it's goofy. I mean, it really is kind of a goofy thing. Uh, I, I'm I'm very curious because to me, uh, Maddox represents everything that's good about the game, and and to me, I think most people believe that. Uh, I think almost you know the vast majority of people believe that. So I'm I'll be very very interested. He's definitely going to get elected. If, if now that, there's the other thing, if because of protest votes and something else, he somehow didn't get elected, shut down the Hall of Fame. There's right. just no point even having this vote anymore. What if you had to throw a percentage out? What, what, what's your guess he gets? Do you think he he'll, he'll be around Seaver? I bet. Yeah. I bet he'll be around ninety-eight six, ninety. You know, between ninety-eight five and ninety-nine. I think. But again, I don't know how many people are going to send in a signed ballot with just their name on it, or just Jack Morris on it, or you know, some ridiculous protest thing that I don't understand. I don't know what the answer to that question is, but uh, I think it'll be higher than 98%. It sure would be a fascinating column to read from the voter who didn't vote for Maddox and made a case against it. It'd be fascinating to read. But uh, the sportscasters are here, honored and privileged to be speaking with Joe Poznanski for the second time. Uh, we really appreciate his time. You can follow him at Twitter, at Jay Poznanski. He writes a uh, national column for NBCSports.com. Uh, last thing, we'll get you out of here on this. I'm just curious. I know you're from Cleveland, Ohio. Do you consider yourself a Browns fan? Well, I, I grew up a huge, huge Browns fan. Um, but I wrote about this uh, a few weeks ago. It's been – I've never really been able to embrace the new Browns, okay. and that goes back to, to the day that uh, that they came. It's not – it just hasn't happened for me. I, you know, when they left Cleveland, it was such a break for me. It was so – 
heartbreaking and 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 disgusting, and I was so angry about it. Uh, I've never, you know, and I'm a sports writer, so I was in Kansas City, and and I was following the Chiefs, and they were, you know, a really fascinating team, and I got to know the players there, and got to know the the management, and so you start watching them uh, in a different way. I mean, it's never that fanhood for the Browns never really came back. But I will admit that this year has been really interesting for me and the Browns because I did feel when they when they traded Trent Richardson and, and basically seemed to throw the rest of the season away, I did feel a little bit of that old anger at Cleveland and, and the Browns that, that I used to feel when I was young and felt like they weren't doing anything. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe a little some of that can come back. I'm not sure. All right. Who do you got for the series? And then I promise I'll let you go. Uh, who do I have for the season? The World Series. Oh, for the World Series. Um, well, as, as we talked about, it's absolutely, uh, it's absolutely a crapshoot. Like, I think that the Dodgers and, and, uh, and Red Sox set up the best for the postseason just because of the way I think their pitching sets up and because of the way that uh, they play at their home parks and all of that. But, you know, I, what I'd love to see, I'd love to see Oakland finally make a run. I'm so sick of the Oakland can't win in the playoffs thing. Uh, I'd love to see uh, see that kind of money ball thing go. Plus, it'd be fascinating to see if the A's actually won a World Series, uh, just how they would handle the, the stadium situation and everything. Uh, so I'd love to see that happen. But I think it'll be Boston, LA, and 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 I think that uh, I think that uh, Boston's going to win it. But that's that's it. Absolutely, could be the you know nothing close to right. And it's JoePiznanski.blogspot.com for some of the stuff we talked about today. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate the time. It really is an honor for us. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. I want to thank Joe Piznanski for being on the podcast today. Really appreciate that and thank him for doing it. Don't forget to check us out on the internet, www.sports-casters.com. You can find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters, and you can email us at sportscasters at gmail.com. Don't forget to play our guest Fox football game. Guest the broadcasters of the Fox games each week, and you can win a chance to come on this podcast and write a blog for fangsbites.com. Email your picks to guestfoxfootball at gmail.com. For more information, go to fangsbites.com. All right, uh, one last thing this week. You know, the NFL had a problem, right? It was with concussions. So they made a bunch of rules to try to cut down on concussions. Uh, certain things became penalties, hitting defenseless receivers. There was a protocol for getting back into the game if you were suspected of a concussion or got a concussion. Well, it's time to create some set of guidelines and protocols for players and coaches and front office staff who get DWIs or DUIs because the problem has reached epic proportion. And beyond that, the problem is is that when you get one of these, your value to the team seems to impact your punishment. For example, if you're a player of the stature of Mr. Smith, the linebacker for the 49ers, a star, you're probably okay. You can play that week, then worry about it after. If you're someone who's a fringe player, you'll probably be cut or suspended, right. or thrown to the side. The problem is, is that whether it's a fringe player or a good player, the consequences of their DWI can be the same. They could kill someone in my family or your family or someone else's family. They could kill themselves. They could kill a tree, whatever. The point is, is that 
This happens too much to people who have plenty of money to make the right choice to not drive their car. And I don't know if it's because teams are wanting to use that against them later. Whatever the reasons are, the NFL's got to figure it out. And there has to be an instant rule. You get a DWI, you're immediately suspended indefinitely. This is the process that needs to play out for you to come back. That's what you need to do. I don't know what the answer is. or someone above my pay grade who can figure it out. But something has to be done about DUIs and DWIs in the National Football League. All right, I'm sure there's some protocol or uh, some standard rule out there that says never apologize, but uh, I was a disaster today on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I had none of my facts straight. I was all over the place, so uh, thanks for sticking with it. All right, one last thing for me. Rashad Johnson, uh, not exactly a household name, safety for the Arizona Cardinals, uh, at some point lost something during the Saints-Cardinals game, and what he lost was the tip of his finger. Ouch the tip of his middle finger, and miraculously, he wasn't sure when he lost it, just that he lost it, and he Tweeted took, some his, pretty gruesome pictures took his glove off, and inside his glove was the tip of his finger. Now, that's pretty crazy. How does that happen? Uh, people on Reddit kind of came out and said, oh, when I was little, I smashed my finger. I thought to myself, boy, that's going to be black and blue, or that's the nail's going to fall off, and then they would look down and just see their f- finger destroyed. So... Whatever. I guess that's how that happens. What's crazy, though, is what happened after that. He loses his middle finger up to the first knuckle, so basically where the nail is, gone. And it's in his glove. Uh, surgeon says, I could have reattached it. He declined. Rashad Johnson declined, and if you know about Ronnie Lott, he right. was in a similar situation. I believe Ronnie Lott was in a Super Bowl or a playoff game or something. Rashad Johnson needed really badly to get back into the cards losing 31-7 to to the Saints. You know where his heart is. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know what else to say about that except for uh, I'm. this is why I wasn't a football player and Rashad Johnson is, is making millions of dollars. But uh, I'm not in a hurry to get back into that 31-7 to game. I hope he's making millions of dollars. Yeah, I hope so. Maybe so, not at that. Godspeed, Rashad Johnson, and uh, his missing digit. Hear the siren. Hear the siren.